how many feet of line, how many ladders, where do you throw them? That science part, we can teach and get people to a point of proficiency and mastery. The people part takes a lot more work and it, sometimes it takes a lifetime. But the problem is we don't uh, effectively resource that and teach our people those skills. And, and that's where the dysfunction starts. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Firehouse Vigilance Weekly Scrap, number 37. Today we have on Mark Davidson, Fairfax County Fire Rescue with Officer Development Training. He's got 28 years in the fire service, 8 years in the U.S. military, instructor that specializes in officer development training, fire ground decision making, company officer leadership, recruit training, truck company ops. I thoroughly enjoy all you share on your social media platforms and look forward to talking to you today. And I want to say it's a pleasure to have you on Weekly Scrap, number 37. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Really uh, appreciate the opportunity. I mean, any chance I get to, to nerd out on spreading the word about what uh, what the fire service should be doing, right I, uh, I, I jump on it. So I really do appreciate it good stuff you do. I appreciate what you do too. I always say strong meme game. Your memes, (laughs) your memes, I I dig those. Really rock. I do appreciate it. Anything I missed on the introduction? Anything you'd like to add? No, I mean, that kind of boils it down. I always say uh, more generically, 30, at this point, it's 35 year public servant. Uh, Just went over 25 years on the job in Fairfax, uh, did three years volunteering, and the math gets kind of funky because it's uh, over eight years dressing like a tree, uh, 28 years uh, of uh, fire and rescue stuff. And then people are like, how do you get to 35? Well, my last year uh, in the service was when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grow up. And um, so so I took an EMT class, started volunteering off base when I had an opportunity to when we weren't deploying and uh, just to see what was I going to do. That's, that's how it worked out. So a little bit of an overlap, but total 35 years of public service. Wow. How long you plan on going? Uh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I, I am in a battle for my life as much as I have enjoyed this idea of building out, uh, officer development training as, as a, a new capacity for my organization. Uh, it was an unintended path. Uh, that got me back into training and back at the academy and off the line. And I'm in the battle of my life to get back on the line. So we'll, gotcha. we'll, we'll see. I, I, I still haven't really figured out. Could I would say a minimum I'll do three more and it could be more than that. But. Okay. All right. I, I want to tell everybody, I thoroughly enjoy your posts on social media because you are a great filter. You go out and find the stuff and then you post it and you give your take on it usually. And so if you don't, if you haven't followed Mark Davidson's officer development uh, with officer development training, it's a great page to follow just to pick up uh, good articles. Like I said, he's a great filter, like a vacuum that picks it up and spits it out. Uh, an amazing filter for what you share. So thank you. Uh, for doing that. I, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. My, my goal with that, I, I very much stovepipe my social media. I'm not one of those folks who, hey, I'm going to the corner. I'm going to the stop and rob to get uh, some coffee. You know, hey, here I am. You know, uh, I have my web page or Facebook page with just kind of personal stuff. I don't put a lot on there just if something strikes me. I got this one for fire department. And, you know, to me, the focus is leadership and and uh, being better at the job and, and our craft. 
and then I have one for my old company uh, in, in the service and, you know, kind of each one is its own thing. Okay. I try I try not to bleed it over it's my thing, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy doing that because to me, uh, curating, I guess would be a term. That's a good term. Uh, for I, 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 I want to get good stuff out there. That's going to be a value that hopefully if somebody picks it up, looks at it, it makes a difference. They're like, Oh, cool. I didn't think about that. Or this is good stuff that I can apply to where I'm at. Um, because there's just so much, I don't know the politest way to put it. There's just so much crap out there. There's Social no media is, you know, people just, they have no filters. They don't have any sense of some obligation for responsibility. They just throughput a bunch of crap. Yep. And uh, hopefully uh, for the folks that are a part of the that group, you know, they can go to it and it's a haven from politics and you know whatever issues of the day hey i want to know more about our craft our trade and that that's that's what it is i appreciate it and like you said there's it's no filter low consequence and not anonymity of just posting sometimes completely unvetted opinions and and there's so much like you said so much crap yeah so i do appreciate what you put out there now then i'm gonna get into the meat of this 95 I'm, I'm spitballing a number here because it kind of depends on the, the, how busy your department is. But 95% of what we do as firefighters is not tactical decision-making on the fire ground. It sure. is dealing with our personnel yeah. around the firehouse, in the culture, in the training, and all that kind of things. And so, and, that, yeah. and I know that's a big part of what you help develop people to work with. So basically, I'm going to kick it off there and say talk about um, – developing the ability to work with those personnel and deal with those personnel issues. And, and where do you start with that? Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, whatever happens in the firehouse is going to dictate what happens on the fire ground. And if you have dysfunction in the firehouse, uh, their dysfunction will display itself on the fire ground. And I use that term broadly incidency, you know, it doesn't, you know, EMS, they, you know, that sure. whole discussion, separate thing. Bottom line is when we're out uh, after the tones drop, that dysfunction will display itself. And we have so many legacy leaders, and I don't use that as a polite term when I use okay. it. We have so many legacy leaders who they'll say literally, hey, whatever happens there doesn't matter. When the tones drop is when our business, you know, we go about our business and things get done. And that's completely backwards. That that idea that somehow there's a light switch for dysfunction doesn't exist. It's only going to get worse because now you're under stress. Your timelines are compressed. You're making in extremist decisions with high consequence and you haven't laid a foundation with the team that you have to work with. And you just say, Hey, don't worry. We'll figure it out when we get there is right. essentially the way I interpret that. And, and that, that idea in, in, when I bring up this conversation, I'll always ask a group, you know, how, how many, what percentage of your calls on a given day are truly in extremists, lives in the balance? It's, it's, you know, if they're saying more than one, five, if 10%, I'm like, okay, even, you know, the guys in FDNY in the right. Bronx are, are not at that percentage. How, how are you? And, and again, going to that idea that fundamentally that dysfunction, it, 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 it's not just about, you know, the, the easy things, training, you know, that idea of how as a leader you are going to train your people and value that and not have everybody riding the couch and, oh, today is employee appreciation day or, oh, my God, there's football or marbles in a bowl. <laughs> we can't possibly go out and train. You know, that idea holds nothing. But then you get to the hard stuff. You know, when you have somebody that you're cutting away on your crew 
because of fill in the blank. They don't meet my expectations. I don't like them. And then you can start really getting dysfunctionalists. You know, they're this, they're that, you know, they, Hey, they're, they don't get it. They're, they don't understand. Uh, they're, they're not part of the, the brotherhood. They're not part of the sisterhood as, as they should be. Well, as soon as that starts happening, how do you expect success on the incident scene? It doesn't happen. So those are the hard conversations that I think the fire service has to get to is, is the understanding that what you need is a functional leadership environment in a firehouse that will set the table for success on the fire ground. But how do you get to that point? That's, that's the million dollar question. Cause again, no, no fire chief issues a, a general order or a bulletin or a SOG or SOP that says, uh, be effective, be nice, don't be an asshole is, is kind of the real bottom line to this. Treat your people with respect and train them and get them to be uh, effective for our citizens. They could do that all day long. But if we don't train our people and what that looks like and how you would go, go about doing that, they can't possibly succeed. Right. So it's, it's, it's not only that we should demand and expect it from our leaders, but we have to resource that. We have to give them those tools. And that's, that's, Frankly, that's what the fire service sucks at. So there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, I always said, you know, we're like, congratulations, you passed the test. Here's a badge. Hope you do good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just think about that. The quote I, I throw at this, and I, I, I hate to beat it to death, but it, to me, it's fundamentally true. If the American military trained its leaders the way the American fire service does, uh, we would be like the French and get our asses kicked all day long. We just would. We, we'd never win a war. We, we just couldn't possibly because the template the American Fire Service has, and I have a whole historical rant and view on, on that evolution uh, compared to the military, uh, just lends itself to this idea that, yeah, take, take a test, get voted on. And, dip, take, you know, again, it's nothing to get about volunteer career and none of that crap. It's just a function of how do you select and, and train for leadership. And in large measure, you don't, you're, you're voted in, you're the guy that dad bought the equipment. Uh, you took the test and managed to luck up and end up at the top of the list, maybe, or through hard work and diligence, you're at the top of the list, but it doesn't matter. A test is not preparing you right. for the environment you're about to go to. That, that would be a great test if it did. Oh uh, yeah. I would but, sign me up for that test. Cause I want yeah. a copy of it. And, and again, just looking at what the what the American military does, where they train constantly, constantly. It is it, it is a imperative starting in in basic training, recruit training all the way through to the general of the army. They're in training and education pre post promotionally for an entire career. And if if there's more than a handful of places that are that are at least saying, oh, well, we got to train our lieutenants because we were in that same model. You, we had what we called officer development school, like 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 that. That meant you were checked off for the rest of your career. You can right, you're go good off. to go. You're good to go. You, you had this. You had yeah, this. It, class. it was four days. Oh, okay, it's it was better. four days in the basement <laughs> of a firehouse. I had a retinue of deputy chiefs coming through explaining what they did. There was no tactical training. There was no there was mostly some administrative things, sure. but there's no discussion about effective leadership. There's no discussion about tactics and strategy, no discussion about the stressors you're about to get into. None of that. And, and that cleared me. And it was just jarring when I finally woke up one day and said, 
okay, so I came out of this environment where this is what they did. This is how they did it. There was this systems-based approach to training for leadership. And I'm in this environment where quite literally my first year on the job, I nearly left because I was part, I was part and parcel in a dysfunctional leadership environment. And within four months, I was looking for the exit. And it, it just, it took me a while to finally make this connection. And that's where the whole small unit leadership thing. Hey, and, and then fat, fast forward to this opportunity to, to get involved with, with training our officers in-house. And it's a, it's a 12 year story, but you know, to, to be at the point we're at now where we formalize this section, uh, we're about to get our second uh, captain for the, for the unit. I, I, I'm sorry. I laugh when I say that the officer development training unit, you were looking, you were looking at it you for are, a while. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah that, was, that was it for three, three plus years, but we're about to get our number two position nice. created a, a battalion chief's position. That's going to uh, create an umbrella structure for, for that and professional. Like that. So the organization is moving art back. I'm very grateful uh, to my organization that they're moving forward and they're, they're doubling down on this idea. Awesome. Um, the strategic leaders, the, the fire chief on down are saying, yeah, this is, this is where we need to be. Um, but interestingly enough, he also has a military background and he, he understands that dynamic. So I think that helped play into, uh, that decision from his perspective. And then I've been very fortunate that I've, uh, we've got support from, from, every level with otherwise within the organization. So now I get to see some of the posts you make with the pictures, the snap of the pictures, of the offer development program. And I believe it's from your department and stuff. And it's just, yes. it looks so in depth with scenarios running and then how to deal, you know, like you do uh, dealing with an unruly employee or a, yes. all that kind of stuff. It just looks fascinating because um, it looks like it's been well-developed. A couple of things I want to touch on. First question yep. I want to ask, and of course we can rabbit hole all day long here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, please. <laughs> but you uh, got to be in charge. I'll, I'll go no, no. off on a tangent. I, I'm bad. getting ready. I'm saying, how do you? How, I really don't know. How did we get here as the American Fire Service to where? How did we? Ooh. I, I I look at it. Everything's about history to me. Everything is about history, and our history uh, is coming out of a largely volunteer force that, that took, a, took care of this country for decades, centuries, you know, and, and going back to, you know, the, the, the Plymouth rock and, and that whole narrative of taking care of the village and the bucket brigade. And it's not that we didn't have a leadership imperative back then. Somebody had to be in charge of the bucket brigade to get all the citizens to line up. So maybe by the time the bucket made it up to the front of the line, there was a you know, Some water in a, a cup of water to maybe do something about this problem. But the, the issue uh, coming out of that legacy is that just because it was it is what it is, there wasn't a merit system. There wasn't a selection process. There wasn't a training and education process to get there. You fast forward to the Civil War, that becomes a real linchpin for the American Fire Service. And coming out of that, uh, there's a move towards the, as the cities rebuild and all these uh, former military folks are coming out of the military and they need to, what did the cities need? They needed people with physical courage, mechanical skills, ability to adapt, uh, ability to work within a paramilitary structure. Sure. Hey, look, we got all these guys. That, right. that, that, of course, is why we wear blue and not gray. But that's a, a story for another day. Okay. And so at the end of it, uh, we, we move into that. And then as career fire service takes over, the civil service component, merit-based system takes place. It's all about a test. The test was everything. And, and that's fine. But what they missed was a key element of a testing process needs a training and education process to couple with it. Because now all you're doing is evaluating whether they are prepared for it. 
And especially when you look at city, large city systems where it was literally a hundred question written test, that was it. Now we have these assessment centers. They're a little broader, they're a little more in depth, that helps, but you're still only evaluating what you have and it's a relative score. So if your top person scores a 71 and that's a passing grade, they may be number one on the list, but we could make an argument that they still suck. Right. No, they're the number one person on the list because that's all you were testing for is whether they pass a test. And so the training and education part, and again, looking at the parallel with the military where you have a selection process, and I'm not saying that's the business we should be in. We should uh, not for a second suggesting Paris Island, you know, Fort Benning, you know, Ranger school. No, but what I'm saying is if we look at the template for that, that system where we train, educate, and then we go into this evaluation and let's pick the best of the best of the best, sir, then that's where we should be at. And, and the training and education component is, is what's seriously lacking. Right. And it's easy to understand why it costs money. No, oh, absolutely. Money and time and effort. And, and yes, a I, lot. Yes. A lot. Yep. And someone has to be really dedicated to make that happen. Yep. Uh, yeah. It, it, and if I could on that point, because one of the things that I talk about is significant because people are like, oh, Fairfax County. Uh, Brunacini came to us uh, one time and he made a joke because, you know, we had a big conference and he's there and all the rigs showed up and we had, you know, it's all pretty. He, you know, Brunacini makes a joke that, oh, Fairfax County, you're looking good. It looks like when you run out of gas with your rigs, you just go buy new ones. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Funny. You know, right. and of course, that was the pot calling the kettle. But at the end of the day, this perception that Fairfax County, which is very resource rich and, they, you know, all that other good stuff. Well, of course they can do this. We can't do that because, look, we don't have the pockets they have. Sure. And, and this solution to this problem, which is fundamental to the fire service, is completely scalable. It can be done with limited resources because the start of, of our programs wasn't a top down solution. There was no boss saying, hey, do this, if anything. It was a ground up solution where several troops were basically pushing. And so the work was pro bono. The work was uh, what can we do with no resources and still achieve training? And that's why I am confident nobody can make this this argument. You know, we're pulling out rabbit ears so we can't help you and we'll just have to do what we do. No, you can do it. It can be done. Right on. It has to be done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Next one was legacy leader. You mentioned it. You kind of defined it there for a minute, but uh, touch on legacy leader and what you mean by that. Yeah, it, 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 to me, it's almost a, a pejorative. It's it's not a, a I, I don't view it as a a compliment in the, in the way I use the phrase. Now, there's the there's legacy leaders and there's a, a leadership legacy. It's a turn of a phrase, but a leadership legacy is a good thing. You're leaving something behind of value. You, you have provided something. But to me, a legacy leader is still in this school of thought that, you know, hey, I took a test. Uh, I'm in charge. So whatever I say, say uh, goes. Uh, don't question me. Um, uh, we will do things the way we've always done them because change is, you know, why would I want to change? Uh, I don't need to l- learn, study, continue to push because I've already made it. Your job is if you want this is you have to work like I did. And, and get to it. And since nobody helped me, uh, I, I had to bust my ass. You got to bust your ass. Right. And I'm just going to sit back and watch. And and so that it's almost a comic book figure. But sure. the, the frustrating part is that caricature is alive and well. I, I'll say fundamentally throughout the fire service, but I can tell you for sure 
uh, in my organization. And that's, that's why I battle every day. That's, that's why I push every day. And, and uh, it, because it's an absolute need, we've got to do better than, than, than that. We can't have that mentality exist in the firehouse because they destroy, they absolutely destroy the people underneath them. That's how people, and then people vote with their feet. And, and in my, I, I always say the most objective metric for us to identify dysfunctional leaders is to look at our transfer request list. And, and I can point to, I can cite case studies where I've looked at that, identified an entire shift, which has requests to get any out to anywhere. They're not even saying where. They're just like, not anywhere here. but here. <laughs> not here. And then... And then this is the best part. It's it's like it's literally a science experiment. Then watch when a new leader gets transferred in for whatever the reason was. And all those transfer requests go away within weeks. That that is as as objective a metric as you can have for dysfunction. And, And we need to identify those. And then, again, this is this is the hard part. We can't just go, oh, well, they suck. So what are you going to do? Let's just move them to the other side of the county, the city, the you know, whatever. No, we, that means we need to train and educate them. Now it becomes a battle to say, hey, look, there's, we, we've got to have a heart to heart. We've got to provide you with the resources because something you've got. And it's always about their genetics, their DNA. Like, I, you know, I say, look at their DNA when you rewind the clock to 25 years before, 20 years before where they landed. And then it's like, oh, now I understand why every day that ends with why is a day off or employee appreciation day. Every Sunday we got to hang out, you know, it's, that's what they landed running two part-time businesses out of the back office. Sure. Sure. I I don't have time for this fire department stuff. I got, I got things to do, man. So yeah, that's, that's the battle. And and that legacy leader is, is kind of the, uh, the center of the bullseye for, for what I, I hope we can accomplish. Gotcha. Okay. That explains that. And I, I love the term. So that's why I wanted to ask, um, Soft skills versus hard skills. That's the next thing I wanted to touch on and how important the soft skills are. I mean, we all know the importance yeah. of the hard skills. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, absolutely. But- I, I, I don't for a second want anybody ever in, in our courses or in, in talking with people about this to think, oh, Davidson's just saying, don't worry about it. Whatever happens in the firehouse is more <clears> important <throat> than what happens in the fire ground. No, not, not at all. A tactical proficiency is a leadership skill. It's an absolute requirement for effective leaders, because if you're not competent on the incident scene, how will you build trust? I can't trust you if you don't know what you're doing when we get on the working fire with reported trap. I can't trust you if you put us on the roadway and you're making dumb decisions that are going to get me hurt or killed or the people. I can't trust you. So those hard skills are super critical and they do take a, a lot to become a lot of work to become proficient at the issue. And Oh, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. So the issue is that at the end of the day, and I'm not saying this to demean our craft at all, but I'm just going to put it out there. If I put up a picture of a burning building on the wall and I bring in a young third grader and I say, "Uh, young lady, young man, okay, everywhere you see fire, you're going to tell somebody with a hose to go there. Everywhere you see a window, you're going to see somebody who's dragging their knuckles on the ground to throw a ladder. And everywhere else in that building, you're going to get these kind of dull expression individuals who they call squad guys and okay. gals. Okay. And you're going to tell them to go look for people. Can you do that for me? Can you do it? And then I'll pop up a burning building and they'll do that. Now, obviously, that's a joke. That's a lot of sarcasm. 
But fundamentally, the hard skills can be taught to just about anybody. Sure. And, and with repetition, they can achieve proficiency and mastery, which is our ultimate goal. Telling, teaching somebody how to deal with two troops out in the high bay that are about to go at it, uh, teaching somebody and training somebody to understand what to do when somebody walks in the office, closes a door and starts crying. Teaching somebody when you get a phone call at ODART saying that essentially they are close to ending their life. That those are soft skills. And that's a sh- crap argument to say they're they're hard. They're 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 incredibly hard. They're they're harder than dragging the hose line. They're hard. In, I, and, and the part that frustrates me is that we have a generation of, of leaders who are conflict avoidant. That's conflict. That's stress. They don't want to deal with that. Because they're saying, oh, I, I don't have time for that, but let's go run let's go run the calls and save lives. That's why I'm here. I'm not here for that, your problems at home. I'm not here that your daughter is sick. I'm not here for whatever. Leave that shit at the door. And, and the best analogy I heard for that was a very good friend of mine who's, who's in uh, behavioral health who said, that's no different than coming in out of a driving rain. You cross the threshold into a firehouse, you look down, there's going to be drops of water there. You can't just dry off in the, the, the millisecond you cross, cross the threshold. So you're bringing that with you. And those soft skills and the ability to engage your, your people and lead them effectively is, is incredibly difficult because it's, it's an art. It's not a science. The science part, hey, how many feet of line, how many ladders, where do you throw them? That science part, we can teach and get people to a point of proficiency and mastery. The people part takes a lot more work, and it, sometimes it takes a lifetime. But the problem is we don't uh, effectively resource that and teach our people those skills, and, and that's where the dysfunction starts. Oh, wow. Oof. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, it's dark. I mean, I, I hate to put it that way that because that, that paints a very – a dark picture for the American fire service, but I believe it to be true because the little bit I I've been fortunate enough to travel and and talk with people from other departments and across the country and and engage in this conversation. It, I don't know anybody that's ever disagreed or fundamentally said, Oh no, no, we're, we're, we're doing that. We're, we're doing that. We're teaching not only our leaders at every level, because those problems start to look different as a battalion chief compared to a unit officer, a lieutenant or a captain. Uh, We're we're also teaching them to our recruits because they are the future leaders. And if we start this foundation early, then we can build upon that. So that by the time they become formal leaders, they are not only effective followers, they have the skills they need to be effective leaders. And it, it just doesn't exist because how much time does it take to teach somebody to deploy a ground ladder? You can quantify that in days and sets of reps. I can generally get a new recruit to be proficient at throwing a 24 in two training days with, let's say, a baker's dozen sets of reps. They'll get it. And then it's just a matter now of making them masters of that. Sure. How long does it take to teach somebody how you deal with conflict, how you deal with somebody who's who has suicidal ideations, how you uh, resolve issues between two people or somebody that's in conflict with you and do that. Well, right. Oof. Yeah. yeah they, <laughs> how, that's how the problem. No, yeah. I yeah. That's the problem. So, man, I want to come take your class. So I'm going to come, I'm going to at least come, uh, uh, 
Well, let me, I'll send you whatever we got. And, and you know, I, I, I ship out our content packages all the time. If anybody's listening or cares and they can email me and we'll, we're very uh, open source. Uh, I have this whole rant against fire service golems. Uh, that's a nerdy reference, but you know that my, I, precious, I, precious. I invented this. <laughs> I invented this. You didn't invent anything, dude. Right. None of us invented anything. So Nothing new. We'll, we'll send you out whatever we got. All right, I'm gonna move on and say, yes. uh, 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 and anything you want to keep on harping on, let me know because I'm enjoying. No. I'm enjoying the preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen a generational difference in your years of training and instructing, and, and basically instructing leaders, the future leaders? Have you seen a generational difference in their values and their um, just the differences and, and how you've dealt with that or learned to deal with it or what you've learned. Yeah. So I've got a counter argument to that idea of generational differences. It goes back to my last year in the service as I was figuring it again, trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grow up. And I remember reading, I believe it was firehouse could have been fire engineering, pretty sure it's firehouse. So letter to the editor thing in there just caught my eye for some reason. And basically it was this guy who was on a rant about how this next generation of firefighters was going to be the death of the fire service. They were lazy, entitled. Everybody wants a trophy. They, they don't like to hear no. And I'm sitting here reading this outside of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, going, dude, I've just spent eight plus years dressed like a tree in, in, in all sorts of fun and exciting things. And you're telling me that I'm going to make this thing suck. And I couldn't, I just read that. I felt, I, I generally like with social media, I don't respond to people. I don't get engaged. I, I view that as the worst platform in the world to try and have an argument. And same with letters to the editor. What am I going to do? But that I truly felt pissed off reading that. Like, come on, you don't even know me. And to say that I'm the, the, the source that my generation is going to screw this up. And I guarantee you, Ben Franklin probably read a letter, the same thing about, yes. you know, the next, next generation <laughs> is going to screw this up. And he's going, wait a minute, I'm trying to make this thing better. You know, I mean, it's just this, it, I, I don't fundamentally believe uh, from everything that I've been involved in training from uh, my time. That, that's where the, the bug bit me for training and education was in the service uh, coming up till now. I don't fundamentally believe in that argument. I I think it's an excuse for weak leadership. I think it's an excuse for people who don't understand that their obligation is to understand the other person. Dual perspective, just like for effective training, is what effective leaders engage in. They understand their people. And to that point, I use a clip from Band of Brothers where Dick Winters, Richard Winters, who's the the leader we would all want to be. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. You know, just come on. That's the guy. Uh, and, and one of his, uh, actually it was Buck Compton and they're interviewing that. That's the beauty of that series. And when we oh, talk yeah. about I love the that, yes. where they're interviewing the actual guys, the greatest generation and Buck Compton is interviewed talking about Richard winners. And he says something that to me just is like a hits me with a ton of bricks. Every time I talk about it, he says that a, a, he knew his people, he knew their wants and needs. He knew their desires. And if I put a, 22 year old from Portlandia with a man bun and skinny jeans and a flannel shirt and Crocs. And, and I'm not dismissing, you know, if if that's your gig, Hey, beautiful. I I can't, I can't do the man bun thing, but rock on, rock on. If, if I put that image in that same quote, we would, and threw that into the firehouse. 
Oh my God. Ah, the generation Z, X, Y, millennial. They all suck. They all need hugs. They need kisses, blah, 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 blah. No, this is coming from the greatest generation. And that leader understood that he had to understand his people truly in order to get the most out of them, in order to take care of them. Because how, how can you do that if you don't know who your people are? And so to me, that excuse for weak leadership is that, oh, they're just different. They don't understand. Right. Did you ask? Did you, did you, what are they bringing to the table? One of the most mature firefighters I know is a 20, he was, he was uh, in my company before I got back to the academy, 22, 23, has his own part-time business. He bought a house. At his age, I was a train wreck. <laughs> I was a freaking no train wreck. And this kid has his kid has his act together. And that's the point. Meanwhile, I know 47 year olds who are going on 19. Right. And, and so, oh, that's so to, to just generalize. And then I'll, I'll say this and I'll get off this rant because okay. I can go an hour on this alone. <laughs> you get brief, at, man. At, at the end of it, in, we have allowed in the fire service this idea to, uh, to be dismissive of somebody because of the day they were born. They were born on this day, so they must have a soft spot in their head, and they are probably the IQ of a have probably the IQ of a cheerleader. They gotta be because they're born twenty two years ago. They're right. idiots. If we did that in any other care, category, where we dismiss somebody because of the color of their skin, where they were born, the way they talk, you know, just any pick a category, we'd be fired, right? And, and rightfully so. But oh, they're they're this age, so they're they're idiots. No, how do you treat somebody like that? And it, it's a to me, it's a story about how leaders should understand their people with that same idea. You need to ask. You need to understand who they are. What are they bringing to the table? That that guy or gal that you're dismissing, they may have been who knows a, an accountant, and you're thinking, ah, what does that bring to the table? Well, if you're a station captain and you've got to do a budget and you can't add two and two. You may want to rely on your accountant firefighter, but if you don't know, if you haven't asked, then you'll never you'll never understand what you have. So, yeah, that's my counter argument. I, I don't fundamentally believe in it. Do we have people who are complete train wrecks that are 22? Absolutely. Do we have people that are 47? They're complete. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is what does that tell me that it doesn't matter? It's about the individual yeah, and figuring out. As a leader, what can I draw out of them? What are they going to give to me? What can I get them to do for me, for the organization, for the citizen? That's that's everything. Yes, love it. The individual accountability, assigning responsibility. I love expectations. It. There you yeah, go. There you the, go. The whole gig. The whole gig. Uh, Mark alone said, and I think he was referencing the soft skills versus hard skills. He said, especially when we aren't teaching those skills to begin with. I think he was referencing how hard it is to deal with some of those mm-hmm. issues we were discussing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Leaders. And I, pre- oh, I appreciate Mark alone for, for, for a lot of good reasons. Great guy, but he spells his name correctly. So I, I feel great kinship with him. All right. Fair enough. Cheers, uh, Mark. The uh, leaders, born or developed, which is more important, I guess, what, what, what I'm really getting at. Yeah, uh, fundamentally developed. They, they're not, not even at moment's hesitation. To suggest that somehow genetically somebody's born predisposed to lead, would mean that every one of Patton's children, Schwarzkopf's children, mm-hmm. you know, Napoleon's kids, you know, whatever, the genetics should be holding true throughout the, the history. It, we, we would have a leadership class 
and it would just be the the sons and daughters of these these great leaders and that is so fundamentally not true uh to to suggest that as an example my daughter who at the time i was certain was going to be a ceo or dictator of a small island nation was born <laughs> to be a leader is clearly off point she is four five she's she's a kid how is she it, it, your brain's just not wired for that. But what she did see was a strong woman in her house who was telling this guy to do stuff and stuff was getting done. She goes, oh, I want to be like her. That's, like her. that's, that's, that's who that I modeling. need to be like. Yes. Modeling. And, and, and essentially, at every turn, they are being trained and educated. So when you look at somebody who is an effective leader and you go, oh, they're just born to it. No, they're not. They had a coach, father, mother, cousin, uncle, something they didn't have to, when we talk about training and education, it doesn't have to be in a classroom. It doesn't have to have to have in a West Point, in, in a fire academy. It, it's modeling is a training and education environment. And so that idea is what fulfills those folks who don't have a formal setting to, to learn. And I, I always say the military proves this. It, to, to argue against it is to basically say, in America, don't you dare do this is to basically say the U.S. military has it wrong. Right. Because they take a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid off the block, off the street, off the cornfield, wherever, who had who couldn't possibly lead a starving dog to bacon. But over the course of a handful of years, they train the hell out of them, they educate the hell out of them, they have an environment where they can model these behaviors because the system's in place that allows them to look at the next guy or gal and go, oh, I want to be like that because the systems, you know, it's a, it's a cycle and it's, you know, it's, where do you jump into it? So they have that ability to see that behavior in action. They train and educate them so that within short order, within two or three years, they are making some of the most incredible decisions in, in extremist conditions with limited information, compressed timelines and an absolute requirement to get it right which is exactly what we need. Yes, I mean, it's 100%. exactly what we mean. And so that's it, which means that's what we need too is that template. But to the point about born or developed, it's, it's a learned art. It is a absolute learned art. And the other discussion I have with the military is please don't assume that I'm saying the military is perfect. Like I, I just had this discussion the other day with somebody where they were kind of asking, well, how does the Marine Corps do it and this and that? And I said, well, they do all these things. There's training before, after, during, modeling, all that. And I said, even with all that, you still get some really sucky leaders. And they're like, they were, they were just shook when I said that. I said, oh, no, there's plenty of really sucky leaders in the Marine Corps. They couldn't believe I was saying that. I said, the difference is there is that it those those sucky leaders are maybe 30% of, of that environment. So you have a seven out of 10 chance to come into an environment where you have effective leadership. My concern in my view is that in the American fire service, it's the other way around. Yeah. It's flipped. I would say we, we, and we have a concept that I refer to as leadership by accident. We have mm -hmm. a good unit officer here. We have a good battalion chief here, a good shift deputy over here, just kind of, but you ask them, what did the fire service teach you to, to what's in the sauce? What did, what did the fire service, what did my our organization teach you to put you where you're at? And if they even go, oh, I took officer one from the state and that, that was right. just a formative, a formative lesson for me and crap. No, of course it wasn't. 
what they do say, if there's anything tied in with the organization, is when they came in, they had a captain who took a mentor. Them under their wing. Yeah, that mentor. They had, yeah. and they that so that behavior was modeled. It wasn't taught in a systems based approach and reinforce and get them to that point. They just got lucky. And that's a crazy way. Oh, there's no doubt. Business. That's just not a good way. Uh, We would never hear. We've never heard of IBM or Amazon or Google if they were just like, ah, let's give it a coin toss and see what happens. What is it? The hope is not a strategy. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. That's beautiful. Uh, Biggest challenges you have faced in teaching fire officer leadership and the tips or any anything you can pass on and how you've overcome those. Uh, the, the, the biggest challenge, well, I guess there's two resourcing is the first one. And for the first, if this is a 12 year arc that, 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 that we've been on to get us to this point where we have this formalized section and it's being resourced heavily now, and that's all good stuff. The first eight years of that in particular, uh, I was repeatedly getting tapped on the head. That's cute, Davidson, but, uh, does it cost us money? Cause if it costs right. us money. We, we, we can't do it. So we were nibbling around the edges. We were basically conducting a guerrilla campaign to, to teach our folks through the certification class process. So that idea of resourcing at the strategic level to say, this is what we need to do is, is in, endemic in the fire service. It just, Hey, you look at the training pie slice of the pie of any organization it's already pretty small oh, yeah. the operations are it's already pretty small and you look at that and that breaks out to basic training recruit training an overwhelming majority of that you go to any fire service organization they're investing heavily in that newest member and, and rightfully so sure but the problem is that leaves very little crumbs on the table to to, to train your your leaders your officers and frankly if a probie comes out of a training process and does something stupid Honestly, that's that's a fire service joke. That's that's what you expect to happen. They're going to do something stupid in spite of all this training. Right. You're an idiot. The fire is this way. You know, there's countless stories about probies doing dumb stuff. Well, I did. I can still remember my first fire. So, oh, my God, I did so many dumb things. So that's but you can't you can't have an officer, new officer show up and make dumb decisions because right. that's how people get hurt or killed. And so at that point. That resourcing is upside down or needs it. It's not that you need to cut away from that. It just the pie needs to get bigger. So resourcing is the biggest challenge in general. And, the, and people understanding strategic leaders understanding I have to double down because, again, they can issue orders all day long. It ain't going to happen on on the street and in the firehouse unless they're trained to do it, whatever the issue is. The second part is a resistance, not from newer leaders but from legacy leaders to be trained and part of what we developed, we call it a continuum of training is that this continuum starts at the recruit firefighter level and ends at the assistant chief level. And this follows again, the military model. If you're a general in the army, you are going to command and staff college. You are going, you're a mid-level officer, Colonel, whatever you're going to war college. You're You're in this constant training education pipeline for your entire career. Fire service, man, Take some certification classes. Here's your four-day class. Yeah. Right, uh, right. If you take EFO, that'll give you some a shot to move up in, in the food chain. And, and again, writing a, a, a significant thesis paper is a good thing. There's, there's value to that. But what does that do for training and educating how you're going to operate in an organization? And I would submit it is not the be-all, end-all. It's a component. But where you have CPSE accreditation or your EFO, that, that's great, but that can't be it. 
So the resistance at that level, and I literally have had these conversations with with uh, chief officers, senior leaders in the organization at different times, not pointing fingers at anybody. Who, who they're they're saying oh, well this the system worked for me what's what why are we right. why are we doing this oh yeah what's broken my, in my head i'm screaming mm-hmm. did it did, did it <laughs> did, did it really do, do we want to hang our hat on that but uh out of respect i'm just trying to push the thing along and 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 that's the the problem is that legacy leader doesn't even understand they don't know what they don't know and the first time we had a battalion chiefs officer development academy that, that I would say as a cohort and for all you guys out there and gals, sorry, uh, they were resistant sure. and, and it took an honest conversation at the beginning of that class. It took the, the peers that we had established as a work group to develop the class to have some honest conversations. And then a course of instruction. And by the time they were done, they're going, yeah, I, I, I learned a bunch. Awesome. Because, you know, the focus on high relevancy and effective training, I don't want to waste their time. That's a waste of my time. So but they have to come in willing to learn and that mind block is is very prevalent throughout throughout the fire service. That's awesome. The thirty four years I'm doing thirty five years, right? Thirty five, yeah. Ish, we'll say ish. ish. <laughs> yeah. Getting it on, being engaged. How have you stayed engaged and motivated? Like, what is your secret to staying this Oof. plugged in and this Oof. passionate? I hope I'm as I'm as passionate. You know, give me ten more years. I'm hoping, you know. Uh, yeah, no. There's trust me. There's been days. There, sure. There's been there's there's been days. Yes, it comes and goes. And okay. and, uh, um, and and again, when we look at particularly the last three plus years in in this position and, and pushing for this formalization of this of this process and and all that, there's there's been a couple of days where, I've, you know, because you, you end up beating your head against the wall. But uh, uh, you know, for all that, I've been very fortunate for the organization who has uh, supported the effort and, and then people who come in and say, yeah, no, it was worth it. And, and that's for any teacher, instructor, trainer. Uh, you know that when you hear a student come in, that it made a huge difference. It was when we have like these uh, reality based scenarios we do with conflict resolution where we bring in dissimilar role players. We put them in these very uncomfortable situations and they have to react well suicidal ideations, cultural differences, race, sex, you know, conflict between two members, conflict with them. We, we have a, several scenarios where citizens, quote unquote, show up and it'll be our civilian staff. And hey, I was at the Giant and your firefighters are dropping F-bombs. And now little Timmy is saying F every other word. And I want somebody's ass and I want an answer now. And, it, and you know, you can't fail at that moment. Right. And so to to have afterwards months time years later somebody come back and say that made a huge difference because i was put in that situation and i felt like i was able to handle it well so that 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 part i think is what keeps me going uh at this point although having said that i i i'm jones to get back on a fire truck fair so, enough fair enough anyways. mark alone said he's a unicorn bro so there you go <laughs> all right i like to always ask uh if you have a book that you suggest that firefighters should read, I always ask the guests and I've never yes. been disappointed. So hit it. It, it, to me, it's a, it, it's, it, it's an easy one and uh, maybe it's too obvious, but I'll just say band of brothers uh, as a narrative to compliment watching the series. Cause the series is filled with so many just critical oh, yeah. leadership moments to learn from. And, and what I try and do is use the military as an analogy for the fire service. 
And again, not directly, hey, we got to have Paris Island. Hey, sure. we've got to do Curry, you know, that's crap. That's if anybody's invested in that in the fire service and they think that's an effective model for training your firefighters, I would submit you're wrong because you're you're in the wrong industry. If I was preparing somebody to do tip of the peer stuff, then spear stuff, excuse me, then then you you do those things. If you're preparing to be firefighters on the line and, and you think the, you know, Gunny Hartman routine is making them more effective. Ah, I, I think we could have a good discussion over that. But okay. at the end of it, Band of Brothers is a narrative to to fill in some of the blanks and really understand what the, the backdrop for some of those leadership moments. And then to draw those out and say, why do we want to be like Richard Winters? What does Richard Winters mean for us in the fire service? What does a Lieutenant Dyke mean for us in the fire service? What does Captain Spears mean or Lieutenant Spears uh, mean for us in the fire? What are those moments analogous to in a firehouse? Because ultimately it has to be relevant. And if we can't, if all we do is say, hey, read Band of Brothers or, or watch Full Metal Jacket and make it happen. No, no, we've got to translate that into our environment and how it becomes relevant for us. That's awesome. Did you, uh, did you enjoy Beyond Band of Brothers? The, uh... I, I did not read that one. And, uh, tip, and a lot of people ask me about the Pacific, you know, the whole Marine Corps thing. I, I honestly didn't enjoy that as much because that campaign historically is just all these different Island things happening right. in different places. And the cool thing about Band of Brothers is following this one group through this entire arc of time. Yes. Just to me, that was amazing. That from was just from so Curry cool. here all the way to the Eagle's Nest. I mean, it was just yeah, an amazing yeah, journey. Just that, that, just yes. that journey and the, the, what they did and what they experienced and that to be able to identify those people throughout. Whereas, the Pacific, it's just such a broad thing. And there were different places and people like, where, where was Okinawa? Where, where was Saipan? And, you know, I love world war two, but I've always loved the West, the Western front. I love and and the Pacific theater. I just never enjoyed as much. Not that it's not relevant. It's just, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the, the third army, the armored columns, the battle of the bulls, the 101st D day. Anyway. Yes. No, I, I I can't disagree. Even even as a jarhead, I, I, I enjoy the European theater as a discussion for, for military history, but, uh, I, I absolutely have to be dialed into my Pacific uh, campaign or else I'd, I'd be bad. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, five questions for firefighters. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number, one, number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? It, the, the, the failure, the abdication of the fire service to train its leaders. It's, that, that, that is what will continue to choke us down because these leadership fails are what end up on the 11 o'clock news. Uh, there's very rarely uh, the channel, uh, the channel nine news saying, oh, my God, company two put the hose line in the wrong place and they burn the house down. They suck. No, they don't care. They see the fire. They see firefighters. Hey, awesome. They saved they saved the foundation. Right. They saved that slab. <laughs> Woo. But what they do here on the 11 o'clock news is there was this sexist behavior in the firehouse. There was this hazing event. There was, you know, this complaint. There's this. That's the stuff that is death by a thousand paper cuts for, for the fire service. And those are all those are all signs and symptoms of dysfunctional leadership. Absolutely. And then to just blame the people because they didn't get it is missing the point. We never train them to prepare for that as leaders. So that that failures to me, the number one issue. Number one, I can. That's that's a great answer. Uh, number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Having said that, that, that I see a, uh, a lot more organizations who are starting to, to recognize that and invest in that training of, of their, their leaders. 
at every level. It, it just seems like I'm hearing more and more stories about it. And that is very heartening. That is that is important. Uh, the other thing, uh, and I refer to it as the upside of COVID, is just the explosion of, of content, uh, particularly online, mm-hmm. but even the craft conferences, these smaller conferences where, you know, it only used to be about the big three. And if you didn't hit one of those, you, you weren't catching anything. Sure. Now we have what I call the, the craft conferences popping up regionally. Uh, we have this, uh, these webinars, Zoom platform, go-to meeting where just, just so much stuff is out there that uh, it, it really is important because now you can be at home, you know, drink, drinking your yingling in your boxers and picking up some tips on rich strategies and, and whatever. Sure. Uh, and, and that's important because training and education is what's going to make us better. That's awesome. Number three, best rank, according to Mark Davidson, best rank or position to be in in the fire service? Driver. Not, not even a question. And more specifically, a driver where the ladder is on top of the rig, not on the sides. All that sloshy water stuff is horribly confusing. So uh, that, a truck driver to me was, a, was for me, the, the best position. Because in a sense, it was like being an NCO in the military, which is you know where we're I, where I land and, and, you know, you have all this responsibility, excuse me, all this authority on the incident scene to make things happen. But fundamentally, none of the responsibility. If things go wrong, you're like, Oh, why did I do that? Cat, that was a stupid thing. Why'd you let me do that? And so, um, but uh, particularly even compared to an engine driver, to me, the, the whole chess game of operating independent of a hose line. And then uh, you're functionally much more involved on the, on the fire ground. Uh, I'm not downrange pulling levers and, no, I'm not, not breaking chops to engine drivers, <laughs> but you know, just to, to, to me, that was the, the best uh, position I've, I've, I, I still think, you know, if I take a drop back, I think I could still pay my bills. So, you know, if I get never back know. to the truck driver. <laughs> Number four, best advice you've ever received. Uh, three pieces of advice from the three mentors that, that I view as helping, uh, uh, keep me going in the fire service. Uh, uh, first one was at month four scenario I was telling about, and it was the engine driver who took me under his wing, uh, you know, basically stay the course. And, and, and I should have known that, but I was in this kind of crisis moment and, and he told me to stay the course. Uh, the, the next one was, uh, uh, my engine officer at the time when I was driving an engine company. And, uh, it was just this narrative about that I had to move up. And that he would not allow me to, to stagnate. And I was convinced I was going to be a driver the rest of my career. And God bless the guys and gals that do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But he refused. Essentially, he refused to let me give that answer. And I appreciate him for that now because uh, he saw something in me that I didn't want to see in myself. And then the, the last one was from uh, uh, the captain of the basic training section when I was brought up there as a lieutenant. And uh, hold a standard. I mean, he, his, his ability to hold a standard and, and hold himself to that standard uh, and, and marks on the line, he, he, was, a, he was an Air Force guy. And, and jokingly, you know, world's largest airline and all that other good stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I admired that so much because, you know, there have been times in my career where my ability to just say no and hold that standard until I really worked for him and understood what that was like in action that was a big deal. So essentially three pieces of advice over the, over the course of my career that have kept me going. That's awesome. 
Um, final question. I think I know the answer. I've got it locked away in my head, but because uh, you're a truck guy. But heavy fire, <laughs> heavy <Ladder>. fire, <laughs> heavy fire in tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Ladder, ladder. Give me a ladder. Get me in that window. Get me, you know, the the to to be at that moment to to grab the right ladder, put it the right place, make that window, make that room, close that door, do that search. Uh, it, it's not not even a question. The the, the chess game of a spe- of particularly a truck company, uh, to me is operating independent of a hose line is significantly more uh, than bringing the water with me. But uh, you know, God bless the engine guys. I know we're support we're support services. If that makes anybody feel better, I'm supporting <laughs> your operation. I'm good I love with it. That. I love it. All right, awesome man. Thank you for doing the five questions for firefighters, man. Best sure. place to contact you for your information or book a class or get in touch with you. Uh, I'd say the safest thing is I don't, I don't want to get in trouble at work is I've got a Gmail address, MFPF dot Davidson at gmail.com. MFPF dot Davidson yeah. at Gmail. That, that's an acronym I use for, for my class on small unit leadership where I talk about mission first, people first. Okay. So I, I kind of wonder what it's for. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's a twist on the phrase from the army. And, and when you talk leadership in general, people, mission first people always, and, to me, they're intertwined. They, they have to be both cohabitate that same space. So, I love MFP it. off dot Davidson. Perfect, sir. Weekly scrap number 37 in the books. I had a blast. I, I, don't, Dude, think I, I don't think thank I've laughed you very this much. much. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. I This is the first time I've had anybody interview me. I, I've done one blog before, but that was a, a group of, of four folks. And, and I was like, thank God for the beer. That helps out, too. I was like, I don't know. Who wants to listen to me? I don't even want to hear myself talk. So I enjoy I, hearing you talk. You're a natural. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, for whoever's out there listening, hopefully, you know, something they can take away from it. Oh, can I plug one thing? Absolutely. So I'm getting ready to start something that I call Green to Red. Uh, and it's based on this idea that for another project in the background for years has been getting my organization to, to recruit more heavily from the military. And I've just seen a lot of our folks coming out of the service who flounder because they're coming out of this very structured environment, team cohesion, all these other good things. And then they go to college, they go work at Amazon, you know, whatever. And and to me, I've seen them and and heard the stories where they flounder. And the problem is you go to a TAPS office and just about anywhere in CONUS or anywhere around the world, they're not going to have, generally speaking, a lot of fire department stuff. And unless it was something you grew up with or you knew about, you may not even be considering it. In fact, a majority of the guys that I, I worked with because we had all the skill set to be in the house cleaning or food service industry uh, became cops it, because, you know, I did the same thing, copper firefighter, and I listed it all out. So this project is to do interviews like this with folks that have spent time in the military and then moved into the fire service to, to explore uh, why it worked, what did they like about it, you know, what was their path to it, and just every service, every rank, every different job to hit all those different angles and perspectives so that maybe uh, somebody who's coming out of the service can go, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'll do this firefighting thing. So, nice, nice. Absolutely. Great, great, green to red. Green to red. Is the name of it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, so well, I thank- appreciate it. No, absolutely, man. Anything else you want, you got it. Uh, and I'll, I'll yeah. share me the links and I'll share anything I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for being a unbelievably fun guest. I really had a blast for everybody else out there. Thanks for watching. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning and uh, stay safe out there.
Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.